Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul. Jamal Forrest, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. Um, happy Monday to everybody, each and everybody. I am recording this at 9 a.m. in the morning on a Monday. Um, indeed, I am. I wasn't doing anything this weekend. Uh, took Sunday off in a sense. Uh, for those who don't know me, some people who do, and some people who've carried over to the Hogshaven podcast and um, uh, you know know who I am, like my background and stuff. Know that you know August twenty eighth is usually just a rough day in general for me. Uh, that is, you know, the day I, I had some some tragedy in my family, probably about fourteen years ago. At this point now, um, and you know. It was going to be hard for me to do anything related to the commanders and put so much energy into that. I did post a couple of clips in the morning, like 30 minutes of film session because I didn't watch the game in its entirety. I was completely distracted Saturday, um, so I wasn't able to fully watch the game. So I posted a couple of clips Thursday, uh, Sunday morning, but uh, ultimately um, got on with the rest of my day uh, and, and was with family for the most part. So this morning I was able to watch the game. Um, in more detail and just get an understanding of how the game flow went. So, um, yeah, man, that's, that's kind of how my weekend went uh, in terms of commanders related. And obviously today is Monday and we, we kind of know what happened with Brian Robinson. We'll touch on that as well. Uh, but before we get started, if you find yourself with some time today, uh, if you find yourself self with some time right now, hit that pause button. So before we continue and try to uh, bless us with a rating and review and, and a subscription if you aren't subscribed yet. Uh, but but definitely, uh, if you can, help us out with the rating and help us push this thing further uh, and make it grow into what you know what we know it can grow into with the Hogshaven side of SB Nation. So, um, yeah, with that being said, let's go ahead and spark with the agenda today. Um, you know, it's just some brief insight into some key roster thoughts. That's all um, for this episode. We won't you know dive into everything too much. I do have a a roundtable schedule with the Hogshaven crew where we can dive into the roster itself this week. Um, and then agenda-wise, since we're talking about future shows, um, I will probably, this will probably be a two-episode um, week. Um, bonus episode, may possibly, but count on two-episode week, including this one. I'm going on vacation Thursday, so I will not be 
Uh, I mean, look, we all got to find our way to get some time in <laughs> before this regular season start because that's that's the grind right there. The regular season is the grind. So um, this is a good opportunity for all of us. If you are listening, make sure you take that vacation this week or take some time off this upcoming week because we all going to need it um, before the commander starts stressing us all out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, expect two episodes this weekend. Um, the next one probably being the Hogs Haven roundtable about the commanders and things like that. So um, let's get into the actual team and, and what took place over this weekend. And ultimately, we will come across the Brian Robinson thing. Before we got into our interview with Chris Russell last week, you know, I, I mentioned three things that I wanted to see against the Ravens. Um, first and foremost, I want to see the starters play. <laughs> Rivera said that they will be very limited. So in theory, you know, I, I mentioned that he may have, you know, been speaking code and that, you know, the starters really wasn't going to play based on how he expressed the limitations <laughs> of the starters. But ultimately, I did want to see them play, man. I was in a position where, like, if you look across the league, um, that week three, like, this is the second season in which they've implemented just three preseason games. Like, this is new to everybody. And, you know, there are certain coaches who are actually taking advantage of this this bye week, in a sense, before the regular season starts and making sure that his starters get reps Um, and making sure that these guys are prepared to play uh, or at least – get a, get enough looks on film where they can actually practice and, and, and iron out some of the kinks before the regular season starts. And I was in the boat of, look, work is work at the end of the day. And Rivera being com- clearly complacent, or I think that's the word. <laughs> if you know me as well, you know that I'm not really uh, good at this aspect of things. But let's say complacent, I think, or he's very content. There we go. That's a better word. Uh, he was very content with, you know, how his starters played. And, and obviously he's a guy who preserves his players versus actually, you know, putting them on the field. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to take that route, so be it. I just I just genuinely just disagree with that approach, especially when you see that they aren't like clicking on all senators or as or clicking as they should be. Like they aren't necessarily in sync as you would like them to be heading into the regular season. That's on both sides of the football. So. I wanted to see them play this week, at least two two series, both sides of the football. Um, but, you know, he was content. And, you know, we'll cross that bridge in the first month of the season when we get there. Um, slow starts has, has always been part of Ron's uh, nature. And, you know, he does finish strong, and, and that's important. But ultimately, you know, the makings of a good coach ain't, and ain't always, like, finishing strong is, is the makings of a good coach, right? You have to be able to be consistent throughout the season. And starting out slow consistently is not the makings of a good coach or a great coach. Like your track record speaks for themselves. And if we're all, I'm not saying it's going to happen this year. So don't get me wrong. But if we're all on the same boat of, you know, we know Ron finishes strong in November and December. Well, what about the months that matter as well with September, October? Like you have to position yourself well as you head into those, those latter end of the season games and now January is that meant because of 18 weeks like November December January all important and you have to position yourself well going into that you can't be chasing like you got to make sure that you up there to compete and that you're competing week in and week out and slowing off starting off slow is not necessarily I mean it's clearly not ideal but it also shouldn't be excused because Ron does it all the time like what there's there's not many winning records to back up the amount of seasons that he's had 
uh, as a head coach from Carolina and Washington. And ultimately, slow starts can doom you as a head coach and doom you as a team. So um, let's go ahead and move forward to the games. I wanted to see, you know, the starting defense and, and how they, you know, face a, a balanced attack in the Ravens. You know, I knew that, you know, they, they passed it uh, pretty often in the preseason, though they're a run, run-based team. Um, how did the starters play or whoever was on the field play? And, uh, you know, they played a lot of man coverage, cover one man. And um, they did mix up the zone and stuff. But I saw a lot of man coverage in this last game. And for Washington, especially their defense, um, Danny Johnson and and Dewan Neal and Percy Butler being, and, and Christian Holmes to an extent being susceptible to, you know, big plays on double moves. Uh, Dewan Neal didn't really get beat on a double move, but – um, he did allow, uh, what, a 40, 50-yarder downfield um, where he was essentially in position but wasn't able to make a play on the ball. Uh, but ultimately, you know, those exposures on film, you know, kind of puts you in a bad light. And Danny Johnson, who has had a really shaky camp, um, he's a guy who's projected by many to make that final 53. And uh, I don't know if you can have him as immediate backup. Now, Christian Holmes not necessarily standing out in the sense where you're you're expecting him to be like some – some noticeable guy where you're like, okay, I see what they're saying in, in off-season practices and stuff like that, and it's translating to training camp and preseason games. Like, that hasn't been the case. Like, we've heard a lot about Christian Holmes and, you know, off-season practices and mini camps and stuff like that. But outside of that, like, his ability hasn't really translated in training camp and, and also the preseason games too. So uh, you don't know what to do with Danny Johnson. Uh, like, again, projections are having him making the roster – my ideal thing would be more about um, what can you do to replace him? Like, are you looking on the waiver wire? Because Corn Elder, uh, again, Danny Johnson, and um, at this point, you're looking at Christian Holmes as well. Um, and and I, I don't know if that's like, that's not a necessarily, that's not the strongest depth that you have at the cornerback position. Like William Jackson, Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Jude's top heavy guys. Like those are your starters from the outside to the slot. Those are your starters. Um, so you got you really got to figure out what you're gonna do with the cornerback spot. Like, can you find a guy who's capable of filling in as soon as possible? So, um, you know, we'll see. Um, I'm not like I said, I'm not that fan. I'm not a fan of Danny Johnson um, being on this roster. And in in essence, like anybody after him, uh, is is up for grabs too. If you can find better replacements on the waiver wire. Another thing, the running back position, and um, I really wanted to know specifically. Would uh, Jared Patterson and Jonathan Williams make the case to push for four running backs on the roster? And for me, I guess this is the conversation that we get into with Brian Robinson. Um, for me, Jared Patterson uh, and John Williams uh, ultimately, well, excuse me, let me be more clear. Jared Patterson made a, made a case in his final game with the commanders in the preseason, at least, um, you know, he, he made a really good case, nearly 100 yards of total offense. Um, but uh, he's a guy where you're looking at him and, and you're saying, like, he he's making a really good case for a practice squad candidate. And at the very least, he's guaranteed a spot on the practice squad. Um, but at one point, I think with Jonathan Williams not dressing, and why this doesn't ultimately mean that he was going to make the team, because there are some people who don't dress and, and don't make the team either. Uh, but Jonathan Williams had made a really good case for himself in the first two games and obviously training camp as well. But Jonathan Williams, uh, I think he would have been making the practice squad if it was just Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, and J.D. McKissick. 
that's ultimately what I thought it would have been. Um, and Jonathan Williams making a practice squad. But now with the Brian Robinson situation, and for those who don't know, uh, because I should have also said it in the beginning, but I wanted to wait till we got to this moment to speak on Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson was shot multiple times Sunday evening during a possible attempted robbery in D.C., um, essentially 8th Street. He was taken to a hospital where the team called his injuries as non-life-threatening injuries. Um, at the hospital itself were uh, co-owners Dan and Tanya Snyder, Jason Wright, president, Coach Ron Rivera, and the team physician and, t- and clinical psychologist Anthony Costalero and Barbara Roberts, respectively. Um, Coach Rivera said that in a tweet, I just got done visiting with Brian. He's in good spirits and wanted me to thank everyone for their kind words, prayers, and support. He wants his teammates to know that he appreciates them for all reaching out and he loves them all and will be back soon doing what he does best. So as far as we know, um, it was shortly before 6 p.m. on uh, 100th or 1,000th block of 8th Street, Northeast in the district. Um, So that's kind of where things were. When police arrived at the scene, they located Robinson, who, according to Dustin Sternberg, the the director of communications for the Metro Police Department in D.C., uh, was suffering from a couple gunshot wounds to his lower extremities, transported immediately to a local hospital. Um, the, re- the investigation is ongoing. So that is the situation with Brian Robinson. First and foremost, we all know prayers up to him. Prayers up to the woman who also was shot as well. You know, a lot of people, and it may be completely unrelated with one another, but from what I understand from a, a reputable individual uh, in the D.C. area, uh, Kill Mo News one on Twitter. It was a double shooting with female grades in the head on 7th. Okay, so I see what he's saying. All right, so 7th and 8th Street, uh, Northeast. Um, MPD is in the scene of a double shooting with a female suffering a graze to the, to the head and a second unknown age victim also suffering from gunshot wounds on 11th and 8th Street. So double shooting, but I don't think they are related. Um, but Kilmo News was the person who uh, kind of gave insight to the story in in detail before uh, actual reporters, uh, beat reporters. But ultimately, um, Brian Robinson uh, was a victim of a, of a attempted robbery in a sense. But what does that mean for Washington? And, and obviously, prayers to his family, prayers to the lady who also was a victim of a, a, a gun violence that same day on the same block um, or the same street down a couple blocks. Uh, I think it ultimately, while we talk about Jared Patterson, John Williams and their fight to make the case for number four, we don't know what Brian Robinson's injuries are. And I know it may be tough. Like I'm a football guy. We all know that to this point. So it may be tough to kind of compartmentalize the situation. So I don't, don't take this as insensitive, but this is just, you know, roster thoughts, you know, um, it is. It, he's he's a part of the team. Brian Robinson is. So we have to kind of understand, you know, what that means for his position as well. And it's unfortunate. And maybe we'll know more very soon about his injuries. Um, but to the to the running back position within itself, Jared Patterson made a really good case for practice squad this uh, this past Saturday against the Baltimore Ravens. But I think John Williams, all that to say, was up next anyway. I think he would have been the, the practice squad candidate if all three and Brian. JD and Antonio were there. So now you have John Williams fitting in, I believe, and I think he'll ultimately make the roster. Um if Brian isn't able to go and placing 
placing Brian Robinson on the PUP list is probably uh, the route that they choose, if not short-term IR, if he's expected to make a full recovery. Um, but also, because we're living in speculation right now, uh, we don't know what non-life-threatening injuries are. Like, that can simply mean that he's able to, you know, live his life. He's not, his life isn't in danger of being cut short. Um, but that doesn't, you know, they're not thinking about sports right now as they shouldn't. Like, it's all about his life and preserving his life and making sure that he's good to go. So, uh, there's no telling if he's going to be be able to play this year or not either. So, we don't know much. Um, but we do know that, you know, he's alive and well. But, uh, in essence, if he's not able to go, I think it's John and they're keeping three running backs still and, and moving um, Patterson to practice squad and, and moving uh, Brian Robinson on PUP or short-term IR to start the season. Um, but ultimately, I think uh, John Williams is, is going to have to find a way to you know take some carries from Antonio Gibson because I'm not entirely too sure that Scott Turner is going to be a guy who's going to allow Gibson to thir- uh, flourish in the role that they were carving out for him uh, heading into the season. Uh, now that Brian Robinson is hurt, are they going to revert back to, you know, having Antonio Gibson be the primary ball carrier? I hope not. I hope this is something more with Brian, uh, excuse me, with Antonio Gibson being a guy who can still be in the role in which he's a, a Swiss Army knife in a sense, similar to J.D. McKissick, uh, still taking on the, the kick return duties. I still hope that he's a guy who's motion out of the backfield or running routes out of the backfield, like creating some versatility for himself and for this offense. It's really going to be on Scott Turner, but I think that if you're going to have uh, elevate Jonathan Williams or Dre Patterson, if they go that route, but I think it's going to be Jonathan Williams, you need to make sure that these are guys who are capable of toting um, and, and being able to run in between the tackles uh, because Antonio Gibson is clearly elevating in a role through demotion, but elevating in a role that we all think that can be more beneficial to him. So that'll be interesting uh, for sure. Moving on from the running back spot, uh, Jamin Davis, James Smith-Williams, and Ben St. Juice played in the finale. Um, Rivera said that they needed the reps, and that's cool. I have no issue with that. Um, Jamin Davis, a lot of people are making assumptions because he played in the last preseason game um, that David Mayo has submitted himself in a certain role because David Mayo didn't play. But ultimately, I think it's more so just, again, let's circle back to what I, I keep talking about with this third preseason game. Work is work. And Davis is a first-round pick who they wanted to see more out of. I wish they would have did this for the starters on both sides of the football. Um, but people play in the in the last preseason game, and Jamin Davis probably wanted, they probably wanted to see more from Jamin Davis in terms of how he plays certain run fits or how he's able to to move against a, another offense and, and see different looks. Um, and then uh, Jamin Davis probably wanted to see that out of himself too. And to be honest with you, Jamin Davis had another good game. Uh, in, in his limited reps. So I think what you're seeing from Jamin Davis is a, is a non-issue if people were drumming it up to be anything more with David Mayo. Uh, but I think that Jamin Davis is in a situation where he can you know, continue to build on the confidence and consistency that he's been showing in the preseason. He's had a couple gaps. He isn't perfect, like coverage responsibility, uh, mislaps, um, abandoning his, his, his uh, man assignment um, to Green Dog and, and go blitz the quarterback. Uh, but ultimately, I think that Jamin Davis is playing faster. Um, he's moving a little bit quicker laterally. He's around the ball um, in, a, in a racing grass really quickly. So I like what I'm seeing from Jamin Davis, and I think that uh, him playing in that last game was fine. Same thing with Ben St. Juice. I liked how Daniel Wise performed again. 
Um, he wasn't like a lead or anything, but I just like the role that they're carving out for Daniel Wise. I think that him being the one tech guy and the three tech guy from the interior spot gives them some versatility inside because you didn't know what they were going to do with Tim Settle and Matt Ioannidis leaving. You didn't know who that interior guy was going to be um, in terms of having those depth spots. And I think Daniel Wise has clearly shown that he's capable of filling in. And I can't wait to see what he does in the regular season. I think he'll he'll be surprisingly well as a person able to get to the quarterback. So I'm very interested in seeing how that works out. Lastly, De'Ami Brown. Um, De'Ami Brown, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think I don't think he was getting cut. He wasn't on, I don't think he was in roster trouble at all. Never thought he was in roster trouble. And I think whatever's going on in his head, he had two drops, obviously, where he suffered against the Baltimore Ravens. One drop over the middle on a slant where he created separation at the break point. Um, where he was releasing, um, and, or we took out a quick outside release or a double move and, and broke inside. And, you know, everything was well. He had like a yard or two of separation and, and just dropped the pass on third down, third and nine. That ultimately probably would have got him close to the sticks, if not first down conversion. Obviously a safety over top of him, barreling down on him. Um, and then the third down, third and 11, where Sam Howell hit him on the boundary. And, you know, he, instead of trying to secure it with one, with two hands and, and try to get his feet in bounds, he ultimately leaves his feet, jumps up with one hand and isn't able to reel it in. And in a situation that really should have been a easy, like a layup of a, of a throw and catch. Um, so Deami hasn't had the best of preseasons. Um, training camp has been inconsistent as well, according to people who have been, who have been there. Um, he's had some good days and had some bad days, but not necessarily a narrative that builds on consistency. I think that De'Ami Brown is, uh, again, I never thought he was getting cut, but now his role is a little bit more clear in that you probably are going to make him inactive on game days um, to start out the start out the year. You're looking at Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, Cam Sims, and Dax Milne probably taking precedence over. Yami Brown because of his issues, but um, Dax Mill mainly because of special teams, but also he's been a sneaky addition as a receiver. Like he's been performing quite well, um, quietly under the radar, but making plays for Washington in preseason. And like that is a double threat to Diami's playing time because if they can trust him on the field as well as being a, a punt returner, then now you're looking at a guy who has carved himself out a role for this team. He has a defined role. Cam Sims, we know all he does is make plays when he's on the field, um, but he also does special teams work as well. So they have roles for this team, and De'Ami Brown is still trying to find his way. I said that he can be a legitimate vertical threat for this offense because he's shown his capabilities last year. I, I think whatever's going on is actually new, to be honest with you. Um, I never thought that he really had issues going over the middle last year. I really didn't. I thought that he took hits, um, big hits well. Like he he's had one drop last year, and that was against the Buffalo Bills. And it wasn't in the same instance in which, you know, he was facing a, a defender barreling down on him. He just had a concentration drop. And that's why I think these were like a lack of concentration, lack of focus. Um, and ultimately, uh, that can cost you from playing time to actual roster spots. And I think the first step for Diami is, is playing time. Um, but to that point, those five receivers are very capable of, of producing in this offense um, and not just special teams as well. And then we didn't even talk about the tight ends and Logan Thomas, Cole Turner, Armani Rodgers. We don't know the status of John Bates and his injury in, in, that, in, essence, in essence, Cole Turner either. But 
Um, we do know that Cole Turner was scheduled to return after like two weeks or so. So Logan, Cole, and Armani, I'm certain is going to be uh, just as important in the past game as the receivers that I mentioned. So De'Ami Brown is really going to have to work himself out of this doghouse that he has really put himself in. Um, but I think it's more mental than anything. So if he has some uh, resolve, I, I I think this is a moment in which De'Ami can show it because he's not a bad player. And he's still showing traits that got him drafted in these games. It's more about like putting all the pieces together and being a more consistent uh, receiver. So lastly, Sam Howe, he earned himself a roster spot. Plain and simple. And it wasn't like he was getting cut or he was on the bubble or anything, but he's shown some of the traits in which that, that, that made him that first round prospect just a year ago. And for Sam Howe uh, to really have a, a, a solid outing and a solid preseason overall um, kind of shows the coaches that they're on the right track with him and they, they got to give him some more time to develop. Like some of the sacks that he takes are completely unnecessary. I mean, he has to understand when a play is dead or when um, to throw it away to just prevent the injury side um, or increase of injury percentages and things like that. But ultimately uh, Sam Howe's earned himself a spot. And, and next year when the time comes, you're going to talk about, you know, is Sam Howe ready to compete for that, that, that backup role? Taylor Heineke's contract is expiring at the end of this year, but is he ready to compete for a backup role? Because uh, Sam Howe is on here for four years, uh, at least contractually. But if he's the the quarterback who doesn't have a competitor or or competition, and they just completely are fine with Carson, presumably because if if Sam Howe is competing for a backup role. Odds are Carson Wentz is still here. Um, then that means that what they saw throughout this regular season upcoming is very encouraging and, and some something that they could build on and ultimately have him overcome and take over if, you know, those first round traits were there. So, um, yeah, those are my brief thoughts about the game. At the same, same time, we have some more conversations coming throughout the week. So, uh, my, those are my initial thoughts and things like that. And obviously we'll, we'll monitor Brian Robinson from an actual health standpoint uh, moving forward, but did want to get some thoughts on the running back position because in reality, they're going to be thinking the same thing this upcoming Tuesday uh, when roster cuts and, and, and management is, is at, at, at its utmost importance. So uh, yeah, with that being said, everybody, we will see you all later this week. Y'all be safe. Enjoy your day. Whenever y'all listening. <laughs>